1: Welcome in to episode 237 of the Sources Say Podcast, your go-to Kentucky basketball and recruiting podcast on the Growing KSR Podcast Network. Sources Say Podcast is, as always, brought to you by our good friends at Justice Dental. Visit one of their two Lexington locations that's on Wellington Way and Blazer Parkway. Dr. Thompson and Dr. Justice look forward to seeing you soon. I am your host, Jack Pilgrim of Kentucky Sports Radio, very happy to be joined on the road, a a current car ride road trip edition of the Source Day Podcast uh, with my guy Steven Peak, our trusty videographer and the most passionate Kentucky basketball fan personally I know uh, for my money. Uh, here to break down a very, very frustrating loss uh, down in Athens, Georgia. A 75-68 to 68 loss uh, to the Georgia Bulldogs. Steven, first off, I'm sorry that uh, you have to talk on such a sad occasion you I like when you can come on and be positive and uplifting and passionate in a good way but unfortunately that's not the reality of the situation right now uh, we are about halfway back home to Kentucky and not feeling any better about how things happened uh, and how things unfolded down in Athens
2: we're only halfway oh my gosh it's a long drive this is my first time to Athens um I, you know we, we didn't get to see the campus too much but uh you know Beautiful town. Um, I'll go back. I will. I'll, I'll go back. Actually, probably in the fall for a football game. Um, but uh, yeah, it, it, I did not want a six and a half, seven-hour car ride home after a loss. That was really something I was not interested in.
1: Yeah, especially considering what this game meant, the stakes behind it. There was so much. Uh, going into it, uh, a, a must-win, if you will. Kentucky had eight win- eight losses going into the game. Uh, not a great resume, all things considered. One quad one win, uh, quad four loss. You know, they beat the teams they were supposed to, but no super high-quality wins. Uh, really needed to close out the regular season on a high note. Needed to secure some, you know, uh, a nice little run of wins. You didn't take care of business at home against Arkansas, that was going to be the one that could kind of give you a throwaway uh, there to close out the regular season. You get run off the floor at home against Arkansas. Then this trip approaches and you go, all right, well, you got to win this one. And now you kind of got to steal one here in a couple games or you know make sure you win this one and the trip down to Starkville to make up for the Arkansas loss. You fall in both of them, and now we're at this point of the season where you're now sixteen and nine, seven and five in the SEC, and Stephen firmly on the outside looking in of the NCAA tournament uh, field. Which, it's, considering where the expectations were going into this year, uh, I, just something that I personally
2: would have never seen unfold. I really am ha- having trouble believing uh, that 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 this is the reality that. You know, after the Missouri game, I, I even said, are we using hyperbole to say that they won't make the tournament? Because it, it did seem at the time maybe an overreaction to just a, a, a few bad games or a rough start. Well, I think today, I mean, that, that might have been... Even I'll tell you this, even when Sean Smith on this show had said early on, I don't think this is an NCAA tournament team, I was like, he's right right now. They don't... the resume right now, but." He's, he, he, I mean, he's going to be right overall. Like, he's. Like, like I, I can't imagine them getting hot and making the tournament now.
1: It's a really tough si- reality, a really tough situation. We'll, let's talk a little bit about how it happened. Um, kind of a spitting image of how things unfolded at Rupp Arena back in January uh, in Kentucky's comeback win against the Georgia Bulldogs, where Oscar Sheeway basically single-handedly willed the Wildcats to victory uh, down by eight in the first half, end up coming back, uh, solidify a lead pretty early and then basically cruise the rest of the way playing Oscar Shibwe ball. Uh, He goes for a career-high 37 points and 24 rebounds. Looks like prime shack uh, in in that one just an unstoppable presence down low something that Georgia just simply couldn't couldn't stop you get a very similar situation Kentucky starts out sluggish down in Athens uh, jump out to a, a pretty solid uh, deficit uh, go into the half down 10 allow 42 points to a team that averaged 69.9 going into the year it just a very average Offensive team, as is, you let them score 42 in the first half. They're confident, they're you know, knocking down big shots, tough shots, they're driving at will, kind of beating Kentucky off the dribble and and, and hurting them defensively. The way we've seen Kentucky struggle quite a bit def- defensively as of late. The second half begins, and Kentucky kind of slowly starts chipping away at that lead. Oscar Sheboygan kind of starts ramping things up, and you go, All right, we can work with this, we can. We've seen this story unfold before. It's happening in the exact same way. They tie it and then take a four-point lead with 12 minutes to go, Stephen. And then from that 12-minute mark down to the one-minute and 21-second mark to close out the game, Kentucky scores six hole points. Six. Six six points in in that stretch, leading uh, Georgia to, to pull off the next comeback. Kind of ramp things up, build their own momentum, and then close out the game, uh, winning 75-68. So uh, they they pulled off the the brief comeback and then let the wheels fall off there in the second half. Just wasn't able to make a shot. Antonio Reeves got cold. Casey Wallace didn't step up shooting the ball. And Oscar Sheboy tried his best to be Superman, but uh, unfortunately the Georgia Bulldogs were his kryptonite there in the second
2: half. Man, you know, just like just kind of going through the uh, the play-by-play here. Uh, like you said they had that four point lead 52 to 48 um and then Jacob Toppin missed a jumper that that kind of rolled off the rim he missed two that I that could have pushed that lead to six um and you know he had just hit a couple big shots right before that he hit the three I think that, that did he hit the three that put him up by four um, Yes. okay so uh, uh, yeah with 11.54 to go and Man, I really thought there, that was like, okay, you just needed to get out of there with the win. It didn't need to look pretty. You just needed to win. And
1: I would have been comfortable with that going into the game, too. Like, I yeah. I, 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 knew Two guys they, weren't, they weren't going to yeah. roll over. Like, they weren't going to roll over and die the way they did at, at Rupp Arena. So, I was kind of
2: expecting a rock fight like that, but yeah not not in that sense uh, you know uh, like you the offensive problems are the, are still there the now the defensive problems are are have been an issue all year and you wonder like how can teams ease so easily scout against kentucky it seems like every time we you know we hear from a post game uh, from the, the other coach he's talking about how easy Kentucky was to scout for. I don't know. If, have you heard Calipari and her assistant talk about how, how easy a team is to scout for this year or, or ever since you've been covering the team? No,
1: it's always we're focused on us. Yeah. We're, uh, we're 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 going to deal with our own issues and let everybody else. Attack us, you know. We're we're we're, we're going to handle our own business, and everybody else is going to adjust to us. That's that's been the Cal mo over the years, but
2: mm, hasn't been the case this year. There's got to be some holes in these other SEC teams that are there to be exploited. Kentucky can't be like the only one, but I feel like I've never heard a press conference from Calipari or an assistant, being you know, open in a pregame talking about how, you know. We see you know we saw what we could do there, and uh, outside of just like we're gonna overpower you with our length and you know our speed and whatever, and, and use Oscar down low. Um, really disappointing uh, performance. I, I know we Calipari said in the post game, no one's gonna talk about uh, how um, we were missing two players. It's that was a big. How, how much do you think? Not having them. It it did. It it hurt.
1: When you have Savir Wheeler, so he goes down with uh, an ankle injury. He rolls his ankle in practice on Monday. uh, And then C.J. Frederick, just a couple days before that, he goes down with a freak incident. He uh, goes coast to coast for an N1 against Florida. Uh, He kind of crashes to the ground. There's a cameraman there. He hits directly on the cameraman's knee, cracks a rib, he fights through it. He plays against Arkansas. Admittedly, does not look very good, as you would expect somebody playing you with, with a cracked rib. You're not supposed to look good with that. Uh, he tried toughening it out, just w- did not work out in his favor. Um, he was later declared out. He's gonna, you know, uh, gonna be held out with, with pain tolerance, and, and uh, he's gonna try to fight back before the, the season ends. Uh, but until then, it's just kind of a, a day-by-day uh, pain tolerance deal. So you're missing your starting point guard and your starting wing, uh, sniper, sharpshooter, you know, in C.J. Frederick. Those two pieces on the surface level, absolutely crucial pieces for just what Kentucky is doing and, and who their identity is. Um, and, and, yeah, uh, Xavier, the way things were going today, I, I think he would have been a nice change of pace. I think he would have helped defensively. I think... He he would have been that kind of that spark plug that this team needed, especially when they were just just nobody could score in the first half outside of Antonio Reeves. Yeah, Antonio went for 15 in the first half. Everybody else, I think, went five five for 20 overall in the first half, if if I'm not mistaken. Wow. Uh, And then in the second half. Antonio goes cold, and then as a result, the rest of the team goes cold uh, outside of Oscar, you know, kind of taking things over there briefly. But Xavier would have been a really nice complimentary piece there. And then obviously CJ Frederick, you make one or two threes in that stretch, especially, you know, when, when Jacob puts a team up four, if CJ comes down the floor and hits, down, you know, hits another three, yeah. then, you know, that's game over. The momentum's flipped. The, the, you know, the, your Stegman Arena, or Coliseum, was waiting for that explosion and waiting for that moment to, you know, flip the momentum back in their favor and then just keep it that way. If, if you hit a big shot in that moment, you kind of take the wind out of their sails and they yeah. can't get behind the team the way that they're needing and, and the way Georgia, admittedly not a very good team that came in, uh, ranked one around, around 160th in the, in the net or maybe 129, something like that. I'm driving, so I don't have these stats pull, pulled off the top of my head. Uh, but they're just not a good team. They're coming in. Uh, they lost six out of their last seven. Um, that's the that's you know the they're, one they're, they're this, that's and the, the one win was a three point overtime win at home against South Carolina, the worst team in the SEC. So they were playing bad basketball going into this. Yeah, they were desperate, but this this was a beatable team in an environment. They wasn't even a sold out environment, so it's not like it was just this uh, absolutely ruckus. Uh, it, it, I, you know, home court advantage in favor of Georgia, they played into that home court advantage there in the second half and just weren't able to, to capitalize late. But, yeah, I definitely think that missing CJ and Xavier hurt, but there's way too much talent on this Kentucky team compared to what Georgia has. Or we think. It, it should not have made the difference. And Terry Roberts, uh, jo- Georgia's leading scorer, arguably their best player, uh, he came in limited and, and was a game time decision. He was limited to 22 minutes uh, in this one too. So yeah. injuries happen. Everybody's banged up this time of year. You can't use that as, that as an excuse. This was a must win game, and even though that was kind of a Calipari crutch there at, at, during the post game, I, I'm not taking that. This was a must win game. That Kentucky just did not bring the fight. They
2: did not bring the intensity, and they got smacked in the mouth by Georgia and. Uh, you talked about the, the Georgia fans, and I think that it's a good time to give a shout out to the to the Kentucky fans who showed up. I mean, this ch- go big blue chance, go yeah. big blue chance inside of a Stegman uh, Coliseum, and uh, and for it, the team hasn't been very good this year, but the fans are still showing up, and that's what's really cool seeing the fans, the Kentucky fans on the road. There were quite a few, um, maybe a strong big blue contingent in, from Catlanta, coming down the, the hour and a half drive that we also took this morning. Um, to get to Athens but but, but going back uh, to the game um, do, do you think that having having those two guys on the floor also just would have made this game maybe a little bit easier for Casey Wallace because you really needed him and you got basically nothing offense like at least from a, from a point scoring uh, standpoint zero points up until the final
1: minute of the game for your third leading scorer, a guy who came in and has kind of emerged as Kentucky's star when Oscar Shiboy has struggled in, in various ways, when teams have trapped him and really tried to make him uncomfortable. Kaysen is kind of in that steady force. And Antonio Reeves has obviously exploded here as of late. and He's playing really solid basketball. And again, he showed that in the, again in the first half. 15 points, he closed out with, with 20, a little bit of an inefficient second half. I think he finished two of 10 uh, after the break as you would expect somebody to go cold when when you, you, you get the volume. Uh, you can't stay hot forever, uh, so that was to be expected. You needed that that extra piece. You needed that one last guy to kind of put Kentucky over the edge. And Kaysen needed to be that guy. Zero points up until the last minute. He scored five in the last uh, in the last like fifty-seven seconds or something like that. It's just not going to cut it. When 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 he is as valuable as he as he is, and it, you know, is kind of that stable presence who is capable of beating you off the dribble, and uh, you know pull up in the mid-range or dunking on your head or finishing strong in the basket or even, you know, knocking down the occasional three, like, he he can attack you at all three levels, and, and there were opportunities for you know for Georgia to be exposed in that area. They were clearly looking to trap Oscar. They were not going to let a video game number Oscar Sheboy beat beat them in this game. They were going to let anybody else do it. That's why Antonio Reeves was getting whatever shots he wanted early. He kind of settled out a little bit, and, and you know it played right into their game plan. Uh, and, and Kaysen would have been that perfect complimentary piece, and yeah, maybe having CJ in there or uh, Xavier in there would have helped. But it, I, I still don't, I can't use that as that is is an excuse, man. Like Kaysen needed to step up in that moment, and unfortunately, uh, it, it just wasn't his night either. Yeah,
2: and 0 for 4 from three. Also, he battled foul trouble, and that that Crucial. also kept his everybody out. battled foul trouble. Yeah, and it looks like, like look at the starters. I mean, three guys with four fouls. Um, And then Damian Collins coming off the bench also had four fouls. Um, And that led to the biggest kind of storyline of, of how Georgia was able to put
1: points on the board. And I was at the free throw line. I think they finished 23 of 27. Uh, if I if they got, I, they got 25 of 29, right? 25 here. of 29. That's so crazy. Uh, almost 30 attempts at the free throw line. I think Kentucky uh, get gets 13. Gets 13 attempts. Yeah. I mean, that's the difference. Uh, this was a, a team that had knocked down free throws at a, a very high rate. Throughout the season, and that was one way that they were going to look to attack it and beat you. Uh, Cario Aquindo, uh, that's kind of what he's known for driving, attacking a physical big. Beefy guard. Uh, that's how he's going to score. He's going to drive on you. He's going to look to finish at the rim, draw you know, draw draw contact, draw fouls, and get to the line. That's exactly what he did, and uh, really kind of set the tone for that game. He brought the intensity. He pr- brought the physicality. Uh, and Kentucky just did not bring that fight. And, and Stephen, what did you think of the lack of? energy on the bench. I thought we got past that, you know, going back to, you know, the, the, mm. the start of SEC play where that was such an issue, where team chemistry and, uh, you know, just body language and energy and those sorts of things, it was such a prominent talking point for all of us, uh, and they kind of seemed to right the ship in that regard. they you know, during their uh, six-game SEC winning streak, you can kind of tell the body language was good. They were jumping off the bench, cheering for each other, smiling, laughing, having a good time. You, you really love what you saw in, in Kentucky's winning streak with that, especially, and then just feels like the last week in particular, uh, dating back to that Arkansas game, it just feels like the bench energy just has not been there. The on court communication hasn't been there, and it's led, in, you know, led to I think some defensive miscommunications, getting beat back door, things like that. I think I think all of that ties in together, uh, that the, the energy is just not
2: there, and they didn't come prepared for that moment. It, it is wild sitting next to the bench, uh, today. Compared to the Tennessee game, the Tennessee game. Granted, you're playing, you know, a top five team at the time on the road, and there, you do just naturally, you're going to be more up for that game. I get that. Um, and this was a game that I think, you know, if you're a player, you probably think we're, we're going to win this game, and you know, not that you're looking ahead, but that, you know, you know how you know how good Georgia is. All right. So uh, it was, but it was weird watching the guys not talk to each other on the bench. Like no, usually they're 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 just they're talking. That's how it was in the Missouri game. Everybody looking straight ahead. Uh, One time, um, I think uh, Bruce Flint came over and was just just kind of going going at. uh, Jacob Toppin, and then sorry, our light here. Is just, we're trying. We're trying. Look, it's we, been raining
1: the whole time too, and that's are, driving me nuts. We are adjusting on the fly,
2: so <laughs> all of this is, is icing on the cake. But. So the, uh, Jacob Toppin is uh, getting, you know, and and he just kind of looks straight ahead. Cal comes over and he kind of rips him too, and I don't even remember what he did. Maybe he talked back, said something like, then didn't, didn't go, didn't die for a ball, and then said something to to an assistant coach, and they both jumped him pretty good and man there's just no like hey bro you're good there's nothing that from your teammate there's no, like it's just and they're, they're it, it, it's like they're isolated like they're getting yelled at they're feeling this pressure they're making mistakes in the game and then there's really not that like come on hey keep it we're good we're good we got this you know it's still the first half but yeah same thing same stuff that we saw in missouri now we're seeing it again in february on february 11th so hey that date in particular is the scariest thing of all of this february
1: 11th six games now left in the regular season Uh, you're sitting at 16 and 9. your resume is admittedly not good and you're officially on the outside looking in in the NCAA tournament field uh, talking to John Calipari uh, and Oscar Sheboy after the game they're so you know they're saying all the right things and saying what you'd expect to hear from a coach that's trying to stay confident and a player trying you know the leader of your team trying to stay confident and you know like what are they supposed to say in that in that situation yep we're screwed have a nice day uh this season sucked and i don't you know my fault the next six games out we'll figure it out let's look ahead to dj wagner next year like we can't (laughs) obviously they're not going to do that you need to say all the right things but it's almost this like this this f- false reality that they're kind of instilling on, yes. on us and, and everybody that's you know listening and paying attention saying uh, well th- there's plenty more opportunities to come by you know plenty more quality wins quality games to come by there's a long season left uh, you know w- we have we have plenty of time to, to you know make a splash and make a statement and things like that Oscar Shibwe was saying yeah we're going to be fine we're going to have a special finish of this year we just have to show fight and it's like yeah. Oscar are you living in the city? same reality that i'm living in it's like that sounds great yeah. I, I get it but what about this team has given
2: you the optimism and the confidence that and what does they, that mean just fight that they will be able to fight they, they, they love saying that word but what what does what does it mean because if, if it if it means just toughness i saw a do show a little bit of toughness today yeah. um he didn't play great but at least he showed some toughness i don't know what does fight mean does fight mean diving for loose balls i've seen them do some of that i've seen i I don't know. That, like you said, false reality. What? I understand they're not going to say, oh, season's over. But, hey, maybe if you talk for longer than four minutes and 36 seconds, you can get around to saying some stuff like, look, this is not where we thought we would be. This is not what we had bigger aspirations than this. Regardless, let if they go on and win the national title, that's great. Hang a banner and, and everyone will forget the regular season for the most part. But we'll still be like, man, how did that team – lose seven games in the SEC, or however many they'll end up losing. Yeah, uh, I, you know, I I see fight
1: as imposing will and, you know, to to bringing the effort. And it was really frustrating because we listened to Jacob, I think it was Jacob Toppin and Antonio Reeves, maybe uh, the the pregame press conference talking about what to expect with Georgia yeah, Antonio Reeves and, and Jacob Toppin, what to expect from from Georgia after, you know, knowing how the first game went, how the first matchup went, how were they going to respond? What were they looking for? And they said we know we're going to go down there in Athens and they're going to try to throw the first punch we know that they're going to bring the physicality they're going to bring the effort and the intensity and things like that so they knew going into it what the mindset would be for the Georgia Bulldogs and that's what was so frustrating to me is they took the first punch like why why are we now February 11th Taking the first punch instead of throwing it like why can we not throw a first punch for a change and that's that's what's bothering me quite a bit because it's like uh, this this team has the pieces to you know to throw punches and and to be uh, the initiator and to be and to impose its own will uh, but it just doesn't feel like anybody on this team is willing to do that and willing to go to those 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 extra lengths and and, and there's six games left in the regular season if, if it's if they haven't gotten that stuff figured out at this point it, it, what what would make you think that it's just going to something's going to magically click in these last six games or even in you know down in Nashville in the, in the SEC tournament or god forbid a an actual tournament run you know once we get to March Madness assuming they even make the tournament because as as of right now they are not in the
2: field so well, kind of, like, Jack, yeah. I just want, I want to ask you this too because okay, we talked to Cal in the post game. Somebody asked him, I don't remember who it was, but somebody asked what happened on that play. You're down three, and, and basically you get a shot clock violation, but you get Chris Livingston throwing up a, a step back, fall away three pointer that didn't have a chance of going in. And he said, "Oh, well, this somebody, did, the person who was supposed to do this didn't do it." And I'm like, "It's February 11th." At what point do we take responsibility for our players not knowing where to go and stop saying, these players are these players are stupid. They don't know what they're doing. But then, don't blame them. But don't blame the players. I don't want to blame the guys. Don't blame the players. But they don't know what they're doing. Don't blame them. But they don't know. You see what I'm saying? That stuff is like, dude, it is February 11th. If you're still screaming at your players because they don't know where to go, that's on you. Is it not? Am I wrong? I mean, at what point do we just continue to go, oh, well, oh he didn't know where to go. Well, that's a good enough excuse. How about recruit guys who can learn stuff or teach these guys better? How are you failing at this? You've done the – Calipari and this staff have been around college basketball or just basketball in general for how long? How can you fail 40 these kids? years. How can – you're failing them years. if they don't know where to go on February 11th. How complicated is, I mean, are, how complicated are these plays? How complicated is, is the whole system? So, I mean, like, and I don't think it is, I, I, but, I, but I don't know. I don't know because we get four minutes and 36 seconds. That sequence, I think, was the
1: story of this team season. I think when you are coming out of a timeout, you get a second chance. It's an offensive rebound opportunity. goes out of bounds. It's a TV timeout. You get the chance to hit reset and say, all right, you're down by 3 points against a team that you should be beating. Let's let's put together a play. Let's let's execute the way we need to execute and let's get the hell out of here with a win. Just let's just do what we got to do. And they run the shot clock down, take get a step back 3 from the top of the key from Chris Livingston, who has been shooting well as of late, but yeah. is that the guy that you want to tie the game with 3 minutes left? <laughs> And I'm sure in, even if they did, they didn't want that kind in of In end of shot clock situation, yeah. fadeaway air ball from the top of the key. Of course not. No. It's a miscommunication. It's it, The play wasn't executed the way it was needed to be executed. And then Georgia goes down. It ends up being a shot clock violation. Georgia goes on the other end of the floor, gets a corner three-pointer, Wide open, knock it down, go up six with three minutes left, and that's ball game. I mean, there's, yeah. th- th- when you, this team you, gets down six in the second half, you should be able to uh, come back down six in in three minutes. But the momentum at yeah. that point had shifted completely yeah. out of Kentucky's hands, and you know it, it got to that point where it just is what it is at at that point. And that that game, that sequence right there was what this season. Like, if you could just kind of put a, an individual sequence in a big picture scenario of what this season is and and how we got to this point i would i would go back to that that sequence and say the the teams going against it can when the big big opportunities have come for kentucky they haven't been able to live up on their end of the bargain while the opposition has always come up in the clutch they've always hit the big shots they've always executed down the stretch and kentucky just hasn't and and we are six games away from postseason play, and we're still having issues figuring that stuff out. And And that doesn't give me, you know, warm, fuzzy feelings that yeah. that, that, that things are going to get figured out. And, and it, g- it's a very sobering reality that we could be yet another year extending the streak of zero NCAA tournament <gasps> wins since 2019.
2: Gosh. I was going to say, give Calipari a little bit of credit. I will on the – when they, they switched to a 1-3-1, Calipari – Call to play. Chris Livingston takes a baseline and dunk. So I just want to, you know, we see it sometimes, um, but the like, the, that's a, the play you're talking about. It was so it was was the season, um, not just metaphorically, but like, hey, you needed to win this game. This was one you needed side to execute. executes, the other the uh, yes. other side doesn't. That's how you get to nine losses with six to go. So for the last um, eight minutes or so that we have left of this uh, podcast, uh, do you want to talk about Overtime Elite? That was my first time being there. I thought it was really cool. Absolutely. So and I guess to tie that in, uh,
1: real briefly, and I'm excited to get your thoughts on this because of what you saw and and, uh, there are plenty of takeaways, I'm sure, from your thoughts on Rob Dillingham seeing him live for the first time. But I think one of the kind of overarching themes of this Fan base right now, and and kind of just the mindset of this team is well, this season is what it is, you know, chalk this up to you know, just. A lost cause. Whatever. Let's look ahead to next season. Well, at least we have the number one recruiting class coming back next year. At least we have DJ Wagner. At least we have Rob Dillingham, Aaron Bradshaw, Justin Edwards, uh, Reed Shepard, and your you know disposal. Like you know that piece of meat dangling in front of us, just blindly running away from this this past season and looking ahead to next. I think that there's kind of a, a very small portion of this fan base that is looking at that and, and using that as their optimism moving forward so i was very excited to see your thoughts seeing rob dillingham for the first time and and understanding why i have used this platform on sources say to say that ain't a smart idea yeah. it's okay to be excited about next year and i do think that they by the end of next season they can put together a pretty darn solid team and could potentially make a run but it ain't going to be a 40-0, no. let's cut down the nets before the season even starts type deal because they will struggle for a myriad of reasons. And I'm excited for uh, you
2: to dive into maybe <laughs> just a little bit of them after uh, your uh, first time with the uh, Rob Dillingham experience. So now I've seen every single recruit that's coming in next year. I, there are there's a, reason, there's a reason to be excited. Absolutely. I mean, there's so much talent that's coming in it's 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 kind of the rock star kind of group that you know at least with this class now you said before just because you have the number one class doesn't mean you have you know you have a John Wall class Mm -hmm. this maybe 2023 class maybe isn't all that great but Dillingham um it's it's interesting because I really like his game on the ball and dishing um I love his ball handle. I love his crossover. He's uh, He's got that quick twitch. Like the, the like Cal described it as like being able to, to uh, really think on his feet, uh, make the right play. Love all of that. Not a big fan of step-back 20-footers, guys in his face. And that kid, hey, look, I wish I had his confidence. He misses eight in a row, and he's like – and he's like, the next one's definitely going in, and when it doesn't and the next six don't, then the next one's going in. I – i'll give him that i mean um you know he's pretty unconscious as far as like i'm just going to keep shooting man you know people are leaving you open for a reason rob that's all right i'm letting it fly baby like let it go shoot them all rob but all all vibes team is is rob dillingham yeah um you know uh, that but i think that you people need to probably understand here's what's going to happen here's my prediction for next year you're going to probably lose the champions classic game Um, You'll you'll play Gonzaga at home. That's going to be a tough game. I mean, they're going to have the same early season struggles next year. How patient are fans going to be? Because this is is what's gotten a lot of fans through this season is, well, next year, number one class. I saw um, country music uh, star, potential star, J.D. Shelburne on Twitter talking about this next class, though, that's coming in. And I, I don't know. He, I know he's, a lot of Kentucky fans feel that way. But do you? how much patience do you think Kentucky fans are going to have once that team inevitably struggles in November and December, like every Calipari team has done since 2015? Yeah. The good news is
1: these type of players, this is when we've seen John Calipari at his best, when, mm-hmm. when he has had these type of guys MFers that are capable of going to get their own shots that will talk trash to you on their way down the floor after breaking a shot, but then three possessions (laughs) later, uh, drill one in your eye and see, that's why I was talking mess to you a couple plays back. Those type of dudes have always done very well at Kentucky. And that's why I do expect them to be successful at the end of the day. But goodness gracious, if there was ever a team that was going to take some early lumps, it's one that 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 is that brings in two ball dominant guards like D.J. Wagner and Rob Dillingham, who I really don't know how you're going to play one on ball, one off ball, uh, and and how that dynamic is going to work because they do rely on on initiating themselves and everything kind of flowing around them. We've they've never played a style of basketball that didn't kinda of have them as the center focus of everything that their offenses were, were doing. Uh, and then playing them alongside Justin Edwards who is also his own team star up at Emotep and mm-hmm. you know Aaron Bradshaw being his own superstar and it's kind of emerged as his own five you know top five talent in, in high school basketball. Uh, there's just a lot of pieces, a lot of different ways to use them that I think will result in some identity issues and some role issues to start with uh, next season. But the overtime elite experience was a great one. I had a really, really fun time watching just kind of, you know, it's like an NBA style, very structured. Uh, You get get the spotlight before the spotlight. And I think that's Mm -hmm. what's really important for Rob Dillingham, that he is going to get you know he he's getting acclimated to what life will be like as a Kentucky Wildcat and I think that's very very important for any five star you know McDonald's all american
2: all american uh, blue chip type of type of recruit, so he's he's in good hands as of right now. You know, we were talking about this. This is how nice it is at Overtime Elite. That I think usually those kids who come from high school and they go to a place like Kentucky, they kind of look at the facilities and they're just blown away. I don't think Rob Dillingham's going to be blown away by Kentucky's facilities. I think he was. He said he was blown away by the overwhelmed. I think. Yeah, I don't think he's going to be overwhelmed. Yeah, by all of it. I, I think. Yeah, yeah. Like their their facilities are. I mean, he's getting top trainers. He's getting the recovery. He's getting doc. I mean, doctors. They're getting mental health people. He's getting media training. I mean, that that place has got it going on. It's really cool. I mean, if you ever get a chance, if you're in Atlanta on like a Friday night, go check out some some of their games because it's it's a really neat experience. And I loved the um, what was it called? The, their bonus the. There, it was can you explain that
1: to instead of a you know a, a, a typical bonus that you see you know for end of game free throw situation thing like, things like that they basically do like a power play that you see with with hockey where you get uh, you know five on four situations it, you know they take one guy out to basically Initiate a five on four or a four on three or you know four on four whatever, Uh, and and that's kind of how games end and and that's how halves end and things like that. So uh, it basically tries to maximize getting runouts and transition and learn how to you you know put these kids in position to make decisions that they will be making in the NBA and the you know high profile college and things like that so a lot a lot to like about overtime elite definitely enjoyed our experience down there enjoyed the rob dillingham experience glad you got to see him with your own two eyes for the first time uh and you know kind of help temper expectations a little bit about yeah a lot to be excited about but also Uh, Just kind of reel it in a little bit and and know there's going to be some rough patches next season as well. I know we got to get out of here, Stephen. Hopefully this drive doesn't take too much longer, but I appreciate
2: everybody tuning in with us uh, for another edition of the Source State Podcast. Real quick, where can fans find your work? Uh, Twitter, but actually go to YouTube. My Twitter is StephenPKSR, but go to YouTube and subscribe. Definitely do that. Before you, check out my Twitter. Find me on Twitter as well, at Jack Pilgrim,
1: KSR. Reach out to me via email. Jay Pilgrim at KentuckySportsRadio.com. With that, we'll be back next time for the Jam Pack Sources Say podcast. We will see you then. And it's not raining.
0: Madness is here. Say goodbye to busted brackets because FanDuel lets you bet on every game of the tournament. must
1: be 21 and older and present in select states first online real money wager only ten dollar first deposit required bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt see terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com fanduel FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in kansas under an agreement with kansas star casino llc gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com rg in colorado iowa michigan new jersey ohio dot com in Kansas 1877-770 STOP in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit one gamblernet in West Virginia or call one eight hundred five two two four seven zero zero 4700 in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gambling helpline MA.org or call eight hundred 327 5050 fifty4 four seven support in Massachusetts or call 1877-8 Hope.